Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio with another good lineup of uh, topics to discuss and and things that we want to share. We're going to start off this week with our shout-out section, where we're going to talk about our Player of the Week. Then I think we've got a very interesting topic covering the new transfer rules in college softball and sort of our opinion about what it means and and what it means for the future. And then we'll finish up with our Tip of the Week. So, Coach Don, our shout-out this week is is to our player of the week, Lex Caruso. Lexi's somebody that you know very well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, so Lexi uh, has always done a really good job, but had a nice weekend at uh, one of the showcases. She uh, is a freshman at uh, Harrison High School, and she was at this uh, last showcase last weekend. Um, I forget, you know. I think what, it was the champion showcase. Champion showcase, that was it. And she hit uh, 500 and uh, just was, um, on so she had a great weekend and always excited to recognize the kids that work really hard and she does a great job she's constantly trying to improve her skills and and working at it all the time so Lexi way to go good job and uh, you are this week's player of the week uh, we are definitely deep into the showcase fall season now uh, last week there were several big showcases going on uh, champions here in Atlanta and then the scenic city up in Chattanooga this weekend there's supposed to be another big one down here in the Atlanta area but it's pouring down rain right now on Friday morning so I'm a little bit skeptical about uh, what the future holds and then also this weekend the George Dugout Club has their senior all-star series going on down at LaGrange College um, I was very proud to uh, uh, see several players that I work with selected to play in that senior all-star team uh, it was uh, um, really exciting to see several players that I work with on a, on a weekly basis get recognized and um, also makes you wonder a little bit uh, a little sad because they're seniors now and that means that uh, before you know it they're going to be heading off to college and and making their way so Lexi congratulations for being the fast pitch prep player of the week there will be a t-shirt in your future and we'll be happy to uh, have you wear that t-shirt proudly and let everybody know that you were the fast pitch prep player of the week we're always looking for nominations so listeners um, as we continue into the fall and winter season if you have a player who uh, you feel should be recognized someone who's had a great accomplishment maybe a great weekend in a showcase or in a tournament or just a player who's got an interesting story that needs to be talked about or needs to be recognized the player of the week is certainly designed to recognize players who are outstanding on the field but we also want to recognize outstanding players who are doing big things in the community or um, you know, overcome some adversity, uh, fighting a fight that uh, uh, needs to be recognized. So if you uh, have a player that you would like to nominate for the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week, please contact us at, at fastpitchprep at gmail.com. And uh, we will uh, uh, consider any player that is nominated. And if you can uh, send along just a little bit of background information, a little bit of why you think that player deserves recognition, that would be helpful too. So our topic this week, Don, is, is an interesting one. Our topic is sponsored by All Clear Plumbing. All Clear Plumbing is located in the Atlanta area. Their phone number is 770-627-2900. Trent Horn owns All Clear Plumbing. He is a fast-pitch guy, uh, somebody that we would uh, love to see you support uh, if you have any kind of plumbing needs in the Atlanta area. So the topic this week is the new transfer rule in college softball. For anybody 
anybody who has interest in college softball, you've been seeing the different things on social media and the different posts, different tweet, tweets and things like that about big-time players leaving their programs. And so just a little history lesson, I guess a little background on this discussion. For the longest time, uh, if a player at a NCAA school wanted to transfer, there was a process that they went through. And honestly, the process was designed in a lot of ways to give the school that that player wanted to transfer from some information and knowledge about what was going on. Uh, The player would have to request permission to contact other schools. And honestly, to my way of thinking, that request for permission to contact was a chance for the school that the player was at to be aware of the fact that player was unhappy for some reason and might want to consider transferring. So the first step was that that player would contact their coach, contact the uh, compliance office at their school, and ask for permission to contact other schools. And at that point, they would be given a letter, right? Uh, A letter that would give them that permission, and and that would be what uh, the other schools would be wanting proof of. Right. Well, and, and now, one of the things that has happened a lot here in the last couple of years is there's a big, big push to give athletes more control and more autonomy in in all these processes. Um, The permission to contact was not something that a school had to provide provide now there was an appeal process if a school wanted to keep player from having permission that the player could follow but it was a little bit arduous it was, did they, require them to work a little bit to get permission to actually contact those schools but they typically got it typically um, every once in a while you'd hear a story about a school who would not grant permission but it was something more, more often than not a player would be given permission to contact and um, but the thing that I think was important about that was it really was a a wake-up call or a heads-up to the coach at that school that there was something going on with this player. It gave a coach maybe the opportunity to sit down with that player, try to find out what the issues are, why are you unhappy, why do you want to transfer. And and like you said, Tori, sometimes uh, as a coach you knew something was up or you knew that they were unhappy because they did a good job communicating, but occasionally you had no idea and it was out of the blue. So it's nice to, um, as you said, have a little insight so that you can kind of intervene and and, uh, have that opportunity to chat. Right. Well, and, you know, personally, there were a couple of very big success stories, kids that ultimately had really good careers playing for me in in programs that I coached at, that at points early in their career had considered the idea of transferring. And to me, I thought it was important that we had a chance to sit down and maybe they could understand my thinking a little bit more. Maybe they could have a better understanding of what was going on. Um, One player who ended up being one of the very best players I ever coached basically was frustrated because I was holding her to such a high standard that she didn't think it was fair because I was holding her to a higher standard honestly than I was holding some of her teammates and her frustration was you know at, at first glance well that's not fair you're treating me differently but when we had a chance to sit down and talk about the fact that well I'm treating you differently because I think you could be the best special yeah. maybe one of the best if not the best players I've ever coached and I don't get that opportunity very often so I am raising the bar for you I am holding you to 
a higher standard. I am asking you to do things that I might not ask some other player. It was like the lightning bolt moment for her. It, it, it hit her then like, oh, so you're not being a jerk just to be a jerk. You're pushing me harder because, because I'm special. I'm special. Yeah. And she went from, you know, uh, at first blush being really unhappy and frustrated by her unfair treatment to proud of the fact that she was being singled out as somebody who was uh, not, not resisting, but embracing. Right. Yeah. And so in the matter of a couple of conversations, we went from she couldn't stand it, had to leave to now she understood and ended up having a great career. Now, not every situation is that situation, but I think it's a good example of something that can happen when a coach is made aware of the fact that a player might have some issues. So the old rule did present that opportunity. It did, but it also limited kids' willingness in some cases to pursue the idea of transferring because they were afraid of repercussions. So, and in, in to, to that same thought, though, uh, many of those kids that did seek that, that transfer release form were the players that were the 10, 11, 12, not in the starting lineup, uh, felt that they should be, right. and thought that they could be maybe in another setting. So, right. many and, of those kids. And yeah. in some of those situations, the conversation that you have then is well i understand why you're unhappy and i think it's un it's unlikely that your role is going to change that much if you stay in the near future in the near future i don't see you being a star on this team and if that's really important to you then i do understand why you want to leave and then you could help facilitate that you know there have been situations for me where i fought like crazy to keep a player and there have been situations where i thought that it was logical for a player to go someplace else and did everything i could to help them make that you know make that move and and make it successfully yeah and I think on on the very uh, the very most successful teams that that that. 11 12 player are players that could be in any lineup anywhere and that's what gives your group the the strength to make it through a championship right. so and and i've always understood you know why players want to play and you know i've all, they should want to if they don't want to play it doesn't yeah. make sense for them to do all the work um and so i understand why if a player's situation is very dire that they're not likely to play or, or have any kind of substantial role within a team it makes sense for me that they should want to go someplace else. But so sure. in the old rule, you had to ask for permission, get permission, and then once you got permission, the other schools were then legally allowed to have contact with you. Now, I'm going to use the word legally because back in those days, there were still a lot of instances, I think, where there were backdoor dealings behind the scenes and, behind the yeah. scenes and um, you know, third-party intervention, you know, trying to you know, find a spot for a kid who was unhappy before the, you know, before the paperwork now necessarily caught up to the to the discussion but uh, uh but it was a different setting and and honestly for my old school way of thinking i thought it was a good situation because i think it did give schools some protection um and then something changed now players now have uh, the right to basically transfer without any warning, without with with very little. I shouldn't say without any, but with very little notification of the school. So whereas before a player would have to get permission before they could, now basically all the players do is they have to put their name on a list, which is called the transfer portal, and it's an NCAA thing where if you decided today that you were unhappy at your school, you go on this site and you fill out some information and you basically put your name out there on the market. 
and say, okay, you know, Don McKinley's available and, and looking for a new home, looking for a new school. So, Tori, Tori, would my current school then be notified, or is it the player's responsibility to say, hey, by the way, I'm on the list? Or uh, The school is notified as soon as a player goes on the list, the list, goes on the portal. And the school does have the flexibility, if a player does choose to put their name on that list, to then discontinue their scholarship at the start of the next school year. So the player is risking keeping their scholarship, even if um, if that player puts her name on that list and you know signs up in that portal and chooses to stay, they could still legally lose their scholarship because they've taken the so one year contract. Yeah, because and and they've put themselves on the open market. So that school could look at it as this player doesn't really want to be here. If she doesn't really want to be here, we don't want her here. So let's go ahead and and take her scholarship. Let's start looking for a place to put that scholarship in uh, to a, a player who really does want to be part of our program. Yeah, it makes it tough. Um, anytime that someone's in a in a situation that's not right for them, it's good for them to you know be able to make a move and to leave. It, it's unfortunate and it happens. And right. um, but if they're not interested in in sticking and playing and working hard, it's tough on the coaching end to allow them um, you know to continue on that journey with the rest of the group that does want to be there. That's right. tough. Yeah. No. And, and and again, I'm I'm aware of both sides of the argument. Of course, having always been a coach, you know, I always think yeah. of things from that coach's perspective and so perfect example of some high profile players and these are the ones that uh, I think have really gotten this uh, this whole discussion started and kind of created this firestorm is in the last couple of weeks three players have transferred from the University of Oregon so you got to give some backstory on that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Oregon has been a top five national championship caliber program for the last uh, handful of years. Uh, coach Mike White, who was the coach at Oregon, left Oregon to become the head coach at Texas. Oregon hired Missy Lombardi, who had been the assistant coach at Oklahoma for many years and is clearly, to my way of thinking, one of the brightest people in this game. and Earned a great opportunity and, like and, that. And, and yeah. earned the chance to be at a, at a great school like Oregon. Um, and I think even though she is a first-year head coach, the idea that somehow she doesn't know how to coach or she's not capable of coaching these high-level players need to go someplace else is just ludicrous to me. Right. And, um, but so the fallout from it is really simple. Um, their catcher just recently decided to, to transfer. Where to? Uh, well, we don't know where the third girl's going yet, but the first two, um, a pitcher and an infielder, have decided to transfer to the University of Texas. Right. So they have followed Coach White to Texas. Now, how that happened, what the impetus was for that, who talked to who first, whose idea it was, we might not ever know that. Um, but uh, part of the old system was to kind of limit the opportunities for a coach to poach his old team or her old team and take that team with them to a new school. Now with the Bulls, there's really no limitation. And I'll be surprised if the third player does not end up at Texas also. Now, I understand the loyalty to the coach. I understand wanting to play for a coach. And I think that 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 has some validity. But I also can't help but think about Oregon, who in a couple of months is going to be playing Pac-12 softball and currently has no one on their roster who's an experienced catcher. That's going to be tough. I mean, at that level. Yeah. Now, maybe their shortstop caught when she was in high school, or maybe their center fielder caught when she was in middle school, or something like that. But there's nothing good about this for Oregon at all, and and nothing positive for that program at all. 
Um, and it's getting a lot of attention because this is the first time that it's high-profile kids from a very high-level team going to another program. For the last several years, there have been all kinds of cases of kids from mid-level programs getting poached by the big schools. And the small schools have been upset about that and frustrated about that for a while. Um, so it just sort of has accelerated the, the, the situation. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a girl who played at Alabama, and I cannot tell you for the life of me what her name was, um, but she had been player of the year in a smaller conference. And heading into her senior year, decided that she wanted the challenge of being able to say she was an SEC Try player. Try the big school. Yeah. Try the big school and show the world what she was capable of. And so she transferred to Alabama without a scholarship, went there as a walk-on, and ended up having a impact, at making an impact on the team her senior year. And when they made it to the College World Series that year, ESPN blew that story up like there was no tomorrow. You would have thought it was the most you know fabulous, most romantic, most amazing bet on yourself look at what you did story in the history of history and the whole idea of great of players who've had great success at smaller schools jumping ship to go to those big schools and for those individual players i understand it but what about the teams they left behind you know, so you have a player who, as a f- high school senior, high school junior, gets recruited by school X at a mid-major conference because guess what? Those big schools don't think she's any good, and that's there's no nice way to say it. They don't think she's any good. That's why she's getting recruited by those mid-major schools because everybody in our five, all those big guns, have decided that Sally's just not what we're looking for. So Sally goes to you know mid-sized school, works her butt off. Coaches Coaches work work their butts off to help her improve. The team has success. Everybody's invested in Sally being part of the program. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, because Sally wants the chance to show the world what she can do on the big stage, everybody who gets left behind gets hurt. So now we're talking about it in this new situation because Oregon is the school that's being hurt. And people are thinking about it from a perspective of, well, if a kid can't be happy at Oregon, where could be happy? And they, it's made people think about it differently. They didn't hold the same uh, prejudices when it was a kid leaving a mid-major school to go to a big school. And everybody thought, wow, isn't that sweet? Isn't that special? But now that it's big kids from big schools going to other big schools and leaving those other the original big program in the lurch, a lot of people are, oh, my gosh, what's this going to mean for softball going forward? And obviously, it's not just a softball rule. The rule applies to all sports. So you're going to see a lot more transferring, I think, on down the road. So <clears throat> as we as we discuss that too, Tori, is there anything that uh, that you could foresee that would make it less uh, lucrative or desirable to make that move to follow a coach, or if they had to sit out a year, or you know, if there was more more to it than just hey, I can play in the spring? Yeah. Well, now it seems like the uh, door has swung completely wide open, and I'm I know it used to be that uh, in foot and it has been in football and basketball that a player always had to sit out a year when they transferred. Now, the same rule is on the books for other sports, but it's always been waived because 
it didn't seem to have the same need or yeah, yeah. the same financial implications or uh, or potential financial implications that it has in football and basketball. Um, but uh, the only thing that keeps a kid from going from any school to any school they want to is if conferences still have a certain rule or rules about interconference transfers. So a kid might be able to transfer from Georgia in November and play at Florida in the spring, but it certainly looks like uh, kids can leave Oregon in December and play at Texas in January. Right. And um, and the timing of that and this that, that situation just strikes me as being really, really unfair to the school that's left behind. So what are Oregon's options? Now they got basically need to look at that portal sort of like the waiver wire in professional sports and see if they can't uh, rodeo up themselves a catcher that can come in and, and, and solve their problems. But who really thinks that uh, that a coach should be a month away from their season having to find a player to bring in, plug in, so to save their season this year? That's pretty interesting now because they're, if kids are uh, aware of that and they're taking note and watching that, hey, there's a spot open at Oregon and obviously there's a probably a, a good portion of the scholarship available yeah you know that that would be an opportunity for me as a backup at another school to slide right into a, a yeah. front line we, spot we, we, we've created free agency in, right? in college athletics is basically what we've done and you know the people on espn and things like that keep railing against you know the ncaa rules and how you know it's so stacked against the athlete and so favors the schools well you you're getting what you asked for. You're giving the players freedom. You're giving the players flexibility. But don't think for one second that there's not going to be a, a backlash to that. And again, I'm all for a player who's in a really bad situation being able to transfer. But I'm also uh, a little bit disappointed that that original school, the school that that player starts at, has no opportunity to do anything to try to save the situation. You know, these kids woke up on a, you know, so let's say you have a really bad practice and coach gets mad, decides to make you run laps or, or uh, uh, you know, take some extra ground balls. Or, I'm out of here. Or, yeah, well, screw this. I'm going home. You know, I'm, I'm, taking my, I'm taking my stuff and I'm going someplace else. And if you're a talented player, you're going to have someplace else to go and no repercussions so you know to me it's just a little disappointing that we've kind of gotten to the point where free agency is the is the best term i think we can use to apply to it and again um, you know whether it's a small school who loses that player because they've helped them get better or it's a big school who has invested time and effort and energy in a player and they decide to go someplace else i'm always thinking about what about the kids that are left behind what about the team that's left behind what about the coaches who are left behind who if they don't win enough games get fired so there's a lot of fallout from this that i think people uh, you know well i think that's gonna that's gonna make administrations and part of taking a big position like that is gonna have to have a little bit more uh, leeway and openness in terms of the time for expectations to be met yeah but that i, I, think I know it, i think it's unrealistic to think that that's gonna you'd, happen you'd hope that that's the next you yeah. know that's the next wave of taking that yeah. next job yeah. and and don't get me wrong i mean i i'm fairly certain that uh, the girls who are ending up at texas knew they had a home before they put their name on the oh, list. for sure. No question. But Texas went from being a team that has been good but not great and you know, 
marginally, you know, you know, definitely an NCAA team, but not a college World Series team. I think I think Coach White's going to get them there for sure. They'll be there this year. Yeah, because they've they've picked up now two of the best players in the country. What's the incentive for them? So, well, of course, you know, he's he's now the you know, the second highest paid coach in America. He's going to prove that he's worth it. And apparently now it's pretty easy to to kind of handpick even after you know after the fact. So. Yeah. Well, and and the other thing is you know so let's say you are a coach that uh, missed on a bunch of recruits, but you've got the wherewithal and the the facility and the the finances and the the money behind your program to be attractive to and a the kid. behind the scenes people. Yeah, so you can you can fix the fact that you're a bad recruiter by being a good agent. Once you're at that yeah, big school, being, being a good general manager, you know, you don't have to be a good coach. You have to be a good manager. You know, and and be a good GM. You know, know the the analytics and all that stuff. You know, the money ball of college softball, and you can build yourself a team pretty quickly. You can wait a year to see how uh, how someone does their freshman year. Yeah, in so, the big so setting. Here, so here's where where I think this discussion then needs to be carried forward. Because to me, I think the the what we're seeing now at the college level is just an extension of what I think has been part of the travel ball world for a very long time you see it all the time that a kid doesn't play enough on one weekend and by monday they're on a new team you know if the if the grass is always going to be greener if i'm not happy here i'm just going to pack up and leave um you know there's uh, you know kids that i work with kids that i know that you know in a year year and a half two years have been on three or four or five different teams because they don't even have the willingness to stick with a couple of weeks or a couple of tournaments to find out if it's going to work out for the long term. If weekend one, they don't get what they want. By weekend two, they want to find a new team. Sure. So so there is no commitment to the long term unless the long term is they've already got exactly what they want. And you know, seeing teams that have 11 players on the roster so that everybody gets to play, um, while that might be great for those kids that, while they're on that travel team, I don't think it's doing a lot of why we want kids to be involved in sports to begin with. No, if they've got too much uh, variety in their spirit wear, it's not good. Yeah, well, uh, Carol Hutchins at a coaching clinic I was at a few years ago was talking about recruiting, and she said she wished she had the ability before she offered a scholarship to a player to look in her closet and see how many different uniforms were right. hanging up in there. <laughs> and if it was one of those kids that had you know eight or ten different sets of uniforms hanging up in her closet, she'd be nervous about whether or not that was the kind of kid that would be in it for the long haul. And at the time, everybody laughed and thought, you know, well, that's kind of you know kind of a cute story, kind of a cute twist. But when you think about it in the modern world of travel ball. It's pretty accurate. She knew that things were going to be tough. And if things are tough, if you're going to just uh, you know slide on to the next easy road, yep. it doesn't get it done in the end. Yeah. And so here's why I think it's a problem. I don't like this new transfer rule because I don't think it sends the message that I want kids to get from being involved in a team sport. How to fight for what you want. How to work through adversity. How to work with other people when you have a conflict. How to solve problems. How to do all those kinds of things that make you successful well, that's communication. You got to yeah. communicate. Yeah. yeah, and and just the the grit and the determination that if you don't like the role you have on the team today, how about you suck it up, Buttercup? Work a little bit harder. Go talk to the coach and find out what the coach thinks you need to work on to increase the likelihood that you're going to play. You know, look at your teammates, and if uh, they're outworking you, make up your mind that you're going to work harder instead of, well, yeah, they're outworking me, and I really don't deserve to play. But eh, so what? I'm just going to go someplace else. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't see where that really gets you ahead any place in life. No. 
and you know, and so you know, maybe we need to you know, to rethink that. And again, I understand that there's always situations, there's always different times when you know when you know players need to get the heck out of Dodge, and and that's well, just part of the whole process. But there's an awful lot of times where I think with a little bit of effort. Maybe something can be figured out, something can be worked out, and when it's all said and done, everybody ends up being a whole lot happier at the end of the day. Just again, communicate, talk, and, and that will go a long way for right. sure. So the new transfer rule is going to change the landscape of college athletics drastically. It already has. It's going to have a huge impact on what we're going to see, I think, in Oklahoma City come the end of the college season this year. I think that there are a couple of teams that would not have been contenders for national championships that are becoming them uh, as we speak while these players are transferring. Um, you know, I know I've seen about 25 different names already. Um, you know, the three kids from Oregon are the ones sparked this conversation, but I've seen a bunch of kids' names that are players that are going to make a difference at the schools that they're going to, and they're going to have an impact on the programs that they're transferring to. So I think the NCAA landscape has changed drastically already. Um, I think some of the um, long-term ramifications are yet to be determined, but I think um, if I was still coaching and coaching at a mid-major school, I'd be thinking about recruiting like it's a one-and-done thing. I'd want to have... I wouldn't be thinking about great kids being with our program for four years anymore. I'd be thinking about great kids being with us for one. That's because when you had them, you made them work. And, and sometimes that's not uh, exactly comfortable or suitable for everybody. Right. But it's got to take hard work. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, again, to me, you know, the the flip side of it is, you know, when you see a player who is unrecruited by those big schools becoming a major, a, a major school prospect because of the efforts that other people have invested in them and the work that they've done. Sure. That's a little bit difficult. So, but, you know, parents, let's start thinking about this a little bit differently. Instead of helping your kid jump team week after week after week because she's not happy with where she's at, let's help her learn how to work harder to get through those situations, to learn the lesson that she should be learning, to become a better teammate, to become a better leader, to learn how to, to communicate better, and to do some of those things to try to make the uh, a situation that might not be perfect at, uh, at first blush, make it something better, make it something that you certainly can uh, be successful in. Um, I think those life lessons are certainly going to carry us a whole lot further than the, you know, so, you know, screw this guys, I'm going home attitude that I think we're teaching kids to be a normal thing. So, Don, I think it's going to be interesting. Let's see what happens with this new transfer rule and see how it impacts the, the game of fast pitch softball. Um, I know it's, uh, it's going to be something that we're going to be watching closely because I don't think we're done with it. We haven't gotten to the end of the first semester yet. And I think here in the next couple of weeks as we get you know Thanksgiving and into Christmas, that, uh, um, that link to the uh, NCAA transfer portals, we're going to be getting a lot of traffic. We'll definitely keep our eyes on that and see how that's going to affect the spring's uh, season and you know hopefully it won't get too out of hand yeah well right now i think it's already a little out of hand so we'll have to see if it if it settles down maybe it's uh, uh that it's the new shiny toy right now everybody sure. wants to play with the the transfer rule and see how, and it, works. See how it works and then uh, hopefully they'll they'll find some reasonable middle ground so but uh um, thank you to all clear plumbing uh, for sponsoring our main topic of the week. Uh, All Clear Plumbing is located in the Atlanta area, and you can contact Trent Horn at 770-627-2900. 
So that is uh, an interesting topic, something I think everybody's going to uh, give us a chance to build on as we as we have some future future episodes. What we want to wrap up with now is our tip of the week. Coach Don? So tip of the week, we're going to talk a little bit about situa- situational hitting and uh, some of the things that uh, you know we want to make sure that coaches are, are aware of. And a lot of times the message that the, the kids are receiving when we um, introduce this to them might get a little jumbled. And situational hitting is something that I think all the coaches need to sit down with players, talk about um, you know what kind of opportunities they might have with runners on base, whether it's uh, sacrifice bunting that uh, you know that we're just trying to move runners. We're not as interested in them being safe at first. That's a bonus. But uh, if we've got runners on on first base, it might be nice for us to to have a ball hit to right field where we could advance that runner to third. But that doesn't mean that any pitch that's thrown to him needs to be attempted to hit to to right field. Right. So let's uh, backtrack just a little bit. So a couple of situational things that I think uh, we see in our game that uh, uh, hopefully people can visualize. Number one is we've got a runner at second with nobody out. And the idea of hitting behind the runner to try to advance her, or we've got a runner at first, and the idea of a ball that's hit to right field, a base hit to right field, gives us an opportunity to potentially go Get first to two third. bases, right? Yeah. And so both of those, I think, are, are kind of tied to what you're talking about about trying to force the ball to the right side. So a lot of times in in doing that, coaches uh, are encouraging the players to hit any pitch to that field. You mean uh, every pitch? Every pitch. Yeah. yeah. Any any inside outside, uh, everything has to go to the right side. And I think that's a tough message for many of the younger kids um, when really I think that we want them to hit the ball hard, maybe look early in the count for a pitch that would give us the result we're looking for. Uh, you know, if they're able to hit that outside pitch to right field, it's better than, um, you know, a ground ball to the left side. But if they get a good pitch, they can hit hard. A, a ball hit hard to the left side down in the corner um, is very effective for them too. But uh, just to let them... I guess be aware of what it is we're we're really looking for, and that uh, you know that they don't get caught up with trying to hit everything to right field. Right. Well, and the idea of a pitch that's in for a right-handed hitter, a pitch that's way inside, trying to force that ball to right field, you might be able to get the ball to the right side of the field, but a pop up to the second baseman doesn't move that's anybody. That's not going to be effective either. And a lazy fly ball to the right fielder doesn't move anybody. Sure. So um, I think you know the point that you made about uh, looking for a pitch that fits the situation that you're in I think that's more of what situational hitting needs to be for hitters especially younger kids but I think for all kids um, you know if you can get a, a player to be thinking okay we've got a runner at second with nobody out if they throw me outside I'm going to attack the first outside pitch I see what should I be looking for right th- that that's great and I think that's situational hitting that makes sense but if that pitcher is knowledgeable or plays on a team with coaches that are knowledgeable enough look at that situation and they start pounding you in side with you know hard pitches that are going to be very difficult to hit to the opposite field trying to force that ball over there is a trap and giving us a chance to get that lead runner if we work her inside right. yeah so again too it's a, a a little bit of a chess match back and forth but just we need to arm our kids with uh you know the the knowledge of of what they need to be looking for early in their at bat uh later in the at bat we're just gonna get it 
we're, right. we're hitting anything that's going to uh, cause us to be out. So. Yeah. Well, and the one thing I've noticed, and I, I'm sure I have fallen into this trap just like many other coaches have, um, in your mind you're thinking you want a ground ball to the second baseman to advance the runner, but when that girl hits a double to the left center field gap, Right, you forgive her very quickly for not hitting that ball, that ground ball to the right side. Say, so what's next? Yeah, and so to me, I think it's uh, it's a challenge for us as coaches because we know you know that there's percentages involved and there's things that potentially can create opportunities, but uh, we also have to be realistic about the situation. You know, and I hear it all the time when out the ballpark, you know, you know, just a ground ball in the infield gets us a run. Right. Well, that's not necessarily true. You know, you know, and and some of that's a baseballism, and we talk about baseballisms all the time. You get a runner at third, and you hit a ground ball to the second sharply baseman. Sharply hit ball anywhere is going to get. Yeah. But in our game, when the second baseman's in the baseline, a sharply hit ground ball to the second baseman doesn't score you from third unless she's just not thinking about making the right. Play. That's a lead runner out for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I think that uh, situational hitting is something that we want to make sure that we're um, thinking about from a player's perspective as much as from a coaching perspective, and try to help our players see the vision of what we hope they'll be able to do, but also give them the uh, ability and the confidence to know that if the pitch does not match up with that situation, a good hack at whatever she throws you is a good thing. It's not a have to. Um, And that's something too, moms and dads, we can talk about that stuff in the car on the way home. You know, hey, what would we be looking for with a runner on second base? So yeah, those are things that moms and dads can chat about too. Well, it made me think of one other situation um, when we have runners in motion, whether it's a steal or a run and hit or hit and run um, that uh, players also be looking for balls that match up with that situation. If you're you know, playing a team and you notice that uh, the shortstop always covers, well, then, you know, if, if you get a pitch that's in her half of the plate, you know, that's a little bit closer to you as a right-handed hitter, you know, you hit a five hopper at where the shortstop was, you got still, a base hit. Still a good deal. Now, yeah. it might not be a pitch that you would normally swing at because you know you're going to hit a five hopper to the shortstop. But if uh, you know if the situation changes as, as those runners are moving and things like that to um, to help create opportunities, and, and you know, I think um, again when we talk about situational hitting, we just want to keep helping our players see the game for where those opportunities are and to have them take advantage of those situations when they can when the pitch matches up with what the situation presents. Sure. You know, runners on third base, less than two outs. Fly ball is not a bad thing. Right. But yeah. you got two outs. We need to keep that thing line driver lower, too. Right. So there's a lot of things that players need to be aware of in, in situational hitting conversations. And I think we want to start having more of those conversations so more kids see the game the way that their coaches want them to. Um, and I think if that starts to happen, we'll have a little bit more success uh, hitting in those situational hitting situations. And sometimes it's tough for coaches to make time to do all that stuff. But uh, maybe that could be part of a practice routine, too. Hey, what are we looking for in this situation? Talk about it. Move on. Right. And for us as instructors, we do it all the time with um, kids in the cage. Okay, right now there's you know, winning runs at third base. There's nobody out. What, what's what's your what's your job? I need to get a fly ball deep to the outfield. I need to you know, get the ball in the grass. Okay, so if you hit a the next pitch is ankle high and you hit a five hopper that looks like it might have gone to the third baseman or the pitcher, then we need to rethink what we're doing. So there's lots of opportunities for us to work on this stuff, and it's not rocket science. But we need to put kids in situations, and if um, if we want them to get better at it, you know, we need to all be working together to help them understand it. 
they'll be more confident in the whole bit. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence is a beautiful thing. So, well, that wraps up this episode of Everything Fast Pitch, sponsored by Fast Pitch Prep. As always, if you have topics, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to reach out to us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com. You can also check us out at our website, fastpitchprep.com, and see the blogs, uh, information that we have on our YouTube channel. Um, we have our uh, online recruiting seminars and a bunch of other information that we think you're going to find interesting and exciting. So please check out the website at fastpitchprep.com. And as always, if you have ideas, please contact us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com. For Coach Don, this is Coach Tori and our producer, Bo Ray, from the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio, saying have a great week and have fun at the ballpark.